Hello, everyone. We're here today with another episode of Above and Below, continuing our theme for this season, talking about her story and how all of these amazing women entrepreneurs that we're featuring uh, this season are are really shifting our culture and creating really big ripple effects within our society. So today I am delighted to welcome Danielle Strobel, co-founder of Keller Street Cowork, which is located in the North Bay, California area. Um, she is also a podcast host herself, and her, her, her podcast is called I'm Not Gonna Lie. So welcome, Danielle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah, same here. And I'm, it's, it's so nice to connect with a fellow podcaster as well. Um, it's been a fun journey, for sure, learning all <laughs> of the cool stuff that you guys are doing. Yeah, that. and I, I so admire how your podcast is about just, you know, genuinely and candidly connecting with people in your community. It's great. I always love a good excuse to sit down with a glass of wine and hang out with cool people. <laughs> and it's been a really good excuse to reach out to people that I don't know and be like, hey, I have a podcast. Do you want to come sit and get to know me? And um, it's created some pretty great connections and collaborations in the in the area that I live. So I Yeah. Think. And community is such a big part of the work that you do now, especially with your co co-working space, Keller Street Cowork. Mm -hmm. so, but I want to take a step back here and ask you about your past. You know, so you were working in a very male-dominated industry, uh, specifically the indie car racing industry. Yeah. <laughs> <A little laughs> so I'd, I'd love to get that story and how you navigated that world. And oh yeah, so it's a good one. Um, I started out in business really, really young. Just my parents were business owners, and at a very young age, like ten, I was doing payroll and all of that type of thing. So um, a lot of responsibility really early which led me uh, you know, through the university, and then I landed a job in, in car racing, um, just as an accountant, to be quite honest. And then I moved up through the industry quite quickly. When I started, I was one of almost less than a handful of people, probably, or women in, mm. in the industry, or in IndyCar specifically. Um, so it was a challenge. It was definitely um, something that wasn't hard for me to navigate in the beginning, as I mentioned, my parents had a business and it was in construction. So I had brothers, we were in construction, like working and existing in the, in a male world was pretty easy for me. Um, however, I don't think that once I got to that level, I mean, it's very competitive. It's very professional that they, they viewed me as somebody who fit in really very well. Um, hmm. so you know, there were some challenges for sure. I definitely had my fair share of Me Too movement <laughs> type of experiences. Yeah. What was that like for you? Um, quite, here's It's quite honestly um, a different conversation than I hear a lot of women talk about. And I don't take away from, from any of their narratives, but I didn't view it as me being at a disadvantage. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I navigated it well enough that it became a game to me and I could tell for a period of time, there were people who either hated me or loved me. And when they loved me, it was because they wanted something, you know, something that I wasn't willing to give. Um, but I just, I just rolled with it. Um, I didn't put a lot of thought into it. Like, this is unfair. This shouldn't mm. happen. I just figured that this is the way life is. Um, and I think I navigated okay. I had a few um, experiences that probably nobody wants to experience, but mm -hmm. it, it made me, it made me stronger for a period of time, I, I was even a little um, off put by women who might have um, legitimately so had complaint about those types of behaviors um, because I thought, well, if I can navigate it, why can't anybody else? I mean, obviously, 
I've grown. I was in my early 20s and mm-hmm. I was doing whatever I needed to do to to um, get my, I shouldn't say whatever, but, you know, um, I was. To I, do your work. Yeah, and, yeah, I was just kind of navigating it. I look back on it now and I realize that man or woman, nobody really needs to be put at a disadvantage um, to exist or to do a, to do a great job. So it, it was a challenge to navigate. I think I made it through okay. I don't know that I would do it again or mm-hmm. would I recommend um, my daughter to go through that experience yeah. either. Would you say experiences like that, um, and I want to definitely dive deeper into the reasons behind how you came to creating uh, and co-founding Color Street yeah. Co-Work, uh, but would you say experiences like that drove you to do your own thing? For sure. Um, I think there was always a part of me who realized that I needed to not follow the rules. Um, And this coming from somebody who always followed the rules seems very strange. Um, But it just felt like people were operating um, within rules that didn't 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 seem didn't seem to work for anybody. It Mm -hmm. just nobody was happy. Nobody was connected. Um, So after a period of time, I moved on and and I quote retired from mm-hmm. from racing and I became a mom and I became really um, intentional um, about the types of experiences that I wanted to have and more specifically those were connected experiences. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I was missing that mm-hmm. for the first half of my life, um, but at some point or another, I just I just felt isolated. I felt um, like I did betrayed almost and there was no community there to support any sort of decision I was going to make. So in the IndyCar world, in the IndyCar world and in general, I think um, that experience kind of allowed me to isolate myself in a Mm. sense. Um, So, you know, fast forward, I I retired. I had a couple of kids. Um, I went through a really tough divorce and I kind of crashed and burned. I was just at the bottom. And so there was a moment, there was an aha moment in which I was like, I need to rebuild my life and I don't know what that looks like, but what I do know is that I'm going to do it my way as opposed to just following the, op- the mm. doors that swing open. Um, and my way meant I needed to connect to people. So I had this dream um, from the day I sat in, in this beautiful creative space in, in Madrid, Spain. I thought I want to create something where people can come and they can do the work that they want to do and they can connect with each other and just not feel isolated. Um, and it turned, it was a co-working space and I, I was doing work with a design firm. I met some, some investors that just one thing led to another. And I created this beautifully designed co-working space in Petaluma, California, not realizing that what that would turn into was the most incredible, creative, collaborative, connected community that I've ever been a part of. Um, I used to think that when I started the business, I would scale it. And the truth is, I don't know if I want to scale it because I love the community that I've created so much. Um, And it just, it highlights the fact that, um, you know, when you're connected to even one person, but a whole community, the value of that is like, um, it grows exponentially. You're part of something greater. And Mm -hmm. if I feel it, you're probably going to feel it and the people you're connected to. And then like, how does that ripple effect mm. look later? So you mentioned these rules or, you know, these norms that, that you felt mm. you had accepted that weren't working for you anymore. Right. Could you um, 
be a bit more specific about what these rules were to you and how you essentially went on this path to want to unlearn them and yeah. do your own thing. I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I like I said, I started kind of doing accounting stuff really young. And then it was just like the obvious next step to go to school and study accounting. And mm -hmm. then it was the obvious next step to be an accountant. And then that grew. And I worked in this industry where there was, you know, a bunch of men who were competing all of the time. There was no connection there. There was no collaboration. Mm. Everybody was like, who's back can I stab to get to the next level, basically. Um, and... That was just kind of the rules of the game. And then I got out and I got married and I had kids and like I just followed all the shoulds um, and never once asked myself, what do you actually want to do? Not even from a kid. I didn't have this like, when I grow up, I want to be X. Um, I just walked through the doors. Um, and I'm fortunate that I had doors to walk through and I don't regret a lot of that. Um, but also... I so I was six months postpartum with my son and hadn't been away from him like ever. Mm. And my friend, I had a friend who invited me to a workshop um, uh, from it's called a desire map workshop. I don't know if you've heard of the author, Danielle Laporte. She wrote a great book called a desire map. Anyway, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I was like, all right, I'm just I'm just going to try this. And that that was the moment in which I was like, oh, my gosh, there's all these incredible women here who are doing incredible things and they're very connected to each other and they don't even know each other. So it's very strange to me. And the one thing that everybody had in common was they weren't willing to do what somebody told them they should do. They were willing to look inside and ask themselves, how do I want to feel and do the work and figure out like what their values are and how they want to feel. And then they were going to tap into that for every decision they made, small or big, and just move forward one step at a time. Mm. And I adopted that, and that's kind of how I got out of that crisis moment. It was every day looking at three words on my notebook and being like, how do, how do I want to feel today? Mm. And that connected me. I wanted to be creative. I wanted to be collaborative. And um, I, that that's what I did. I literally chose, like, if, if you were to come to me and say, let's let's go have coffee and I had like I needed something that day I'm like I'm going to do this yes because I want to feel connected I don't want to do it because today I just want to be alone like making those intentional choices so um, moving from this competitive achievement world and mindset into mm, creativity and desire yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah to polar opposites yeah um, but those were when I became intentional like when I asked myself what is it that I want that was the direction that I went so why co-working? So how, how did you get to co-working? So you're, you've been in the male-dominated industry. You've gone through your you know ebbs and flows of life and personal life and realized that, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. Right. So what, what were the breadcrumbs that led you to yeah. discover co-working? Co yeah, I didn't even know it was a thing. I mentioned that moment in Spain. I was sitting in this old slaughterhouse in the middle of Madrid. Were you on vacation? Was, um, I was sort of. I was married to a Spaniard. Um, and I was actually in the midst of launching a food business, um, but I was sitting in a cafe in this create like this very collaborative space. And I just remember thinking, wow, all these people are doing really great stuff and they're just in the same square footage. They weren't even working together. And how great would this be? And that was like eight years ago. And then you fast forward to now I'm making decisions on the people that I want to work with. After I quote retired from racing, I started consulting freelancers and creative people and building businesses. So really building up their business plans and all of that kind of left brain stuff. Um, but with people that I just really wanted to be with. 
Um, I was a producer for a design branding agency, and that led to a branding gig um, with a restaurant, and the owners of the restaurant owned this one building in the town that I live that I looked at and thought, wouldn't this be a really great big space? Um, so those are the breadcrumbs I got connected. I gave them the concept of co-working, which kind of evolved since the time I was in Spain. Um, so restaurant, hospitality, yeah, and, and realizing the connection that that environment fosters. Yeah, um, sort of. I mean, the restaurant part was really more that the investors that I connected with owned restaurants, mm. um, but they had this other space they didn't know what to do with. So I said to him, I said, look, here's an idea. We should create a collaborative space. In the meantime, co-working itself as a concept became very popular. So I live in the North Bay in California, just north of San Francisco. By 2030, 50% of our workforce in Sonoma County is going to be independent workers. Mm. So these people are working from home or they're remote working, right? So mm. why not have a great space to give them? So that's how that happened. So how long has Keller Street Co-work uh, been around so far? We opened in May of 2018. So almost a wow. year and a half in. Yeah. The first year, I don't even think I slept. Honestly, <laughs> it feels like it went by so fast. It's like having another child. It really, really <laughs> is. And I tried to do all of the things, right? Mm -hmm. We've got 9,000 square feet mm -hmm. um, upstairs and then 9,000 down. So I could, I'm fortunate that I could do private offices and I could do hot desking and events and dedicated desks and all of that stuff. So I've experimented with all of it. And I'm now just getting to a point where I feel really great about the kind of measure of things that we're doing. And I can focus on the community aspect now. Did you uh, use a set of values or have, you know, some foundational aspect of having values of how and why you want to build Keller Street Cowork? Yeah, and they've shifted for sure. In the beginning, it was more about the space. Um, I, I so love the actual design, physical design actual facilities. Physical yep. Okay. Like having a place for you to come and put your laptop down and build your business. That's what it was for me in the beginning. Um, as it has evolved and grown and I've gotten to know the community, the people that come in and I listen to why they're a part of this. It's all very, um, community focused. People are making friends and they're doing great projects together. I've got 30 collaborations that have, in less than two years. Wow. 30 different projects, collaborations have happened in that space with people who didn't even know each other before mm -hmm. they walked in. I mean, that feels good. It feels really good. So how did your value shift from design and then it went mm -hmm. into dot, dot, dot? <laughs> to, yeah, the community basically. And, mm -hmm. and it's... The design is is very much appreciated when you walk in the door. It's it's a little bit overwhelming. It's like a first-tier space, something you would find in the city of San Francisco in a second-tier market. So not a lot of people have seen it. But um, what I've done is created physical space that allows for connectivity and any sort of connectivity that works for you. So some people just like to sit in their own desk and focus on their computer, right? We put those desks in strategic spots that they still somehow get the energy of other people moving and, and working around them. Um, we do have private offices and there are people who just want to close mm -hmm. their door and work. Um, so that has evolved in the sense that people have come in and they've told me their value of them meeting these other people and the work that's happening. And so it's kind of, um, it was a, a little bit of an afterthought. Mm -hmm. um, so for sure. In, in, in your words, uh, what do you feel like is a value of a well-designed space? Why is design important 
Design is so important to me. It's so funny. I just built a, co- a podcast studio as well, and I was fighting with the sound engineers on the design of it, and, and they're all like, oh, we'll just do this. We'll just do that. And I'm like, no, 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 we won't. I want people to experience their space, right? Specifically for us, we've got art involved because we want to inspire creativity. We've got um, a lot of analog opportunities for experience in there. So I want you to cut pieces of paper, and I want you to – draw on whiteboards and I want you to, um, you know, take the craft paper and make something out of it in your spare time. So get up off your computer, change your room, go from a hard seat to a soft seat, go to a standing table, go to a room that's got like really textural wall um, experiences because it's shifting your mode of operation as well. You know, we all get stuck in a track of concentration um, but your your thinking becomes very narrow. And when you surround yourself with people and textures and experiences and seating that kind of shift that, the ideas in your head shift as well. Mm. You mentioned community as the shifting value that came up as you were evolving Color Street Cowork. Yeah. Um, do you have any community values that you jump off of to, you know, also be connected to the design of the space? Um, yes, we do. We, I mean, it kind of goes back to some of the installations that we've put in the space. They're very textural. They're very experiential, some of them. Um, but the other part is that it, it's a beautifully designed space. And I, I'm fortunate to have worked with an amazing interior design firm. Um, and what has happened is I, I walked in the day that we opened. I thought, this is it's perfectly designed. Every All of the experiences are exactly what I would ever want, right? But it's also an um, organic community. And some people, some people want to make it their own. And I kind of resisted that for a while. And then what I realized is the more people took ownership of their actual experience in the design, the more at home that they, they felt, right? Mm. So imagine moving in with a partner and you're moving into their space, but you want to be able to contribute to what that experience is, right? So I kind of, in building the community, what I did is I realized that a lot of these people want input into what the actual design experience is. So Mm. I've had to loosen up my grip. um, And it's, you know, it's probably not now at a point where it's going to be in a magazine. It still looks amazing, but now we've got guys who have their logos on on their doors. and, And I've done it in a very intentional way, so it's very consistent or whatever. But um, or we've got people who are taking their handwriting and they're going up on my beautiful whiteboard and they're doing their pictures and mm-hmm. they're asking their questions. And so they feel compelled to integrate with not and only- And make it their own. Yes, exactly. So it's more like, it's not my space, it's our space. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well put. So what obstacles did you face when growing Color Street Cowork? Oh my gosh. There, this is huge. I have so I started it with a group of investors, um, and quite honestly, I'm grateful because it would have never happened. I didn't have the capital to do that, but I also had a lot of a lot of creative um, fighting with them. They were an investor group that I was not aligned with. Like that's not a mistake I'll make again. Um, they didn't really honor the experience as much as they honored like how many dollars can we put in how many square feet. Um, and so there was a lot of emotional 
warfare happening. Um, then the investors made some really poor choices in some of their investments and um, they're now working their way out of the picture. And so it's been a challenge, you know, it's, it's, um, I've learned some lessons. I will definitely figure out how to, you know, be funded and be able to have creative control and that type of thing. And um, that's definitely been a big, a big shift for the space. It's mm. kind of like I'm in the thick of it right now. <laughs> right. It's like you want the creative autonomy to make it what you please. Yeah, mostly because I value that the only reason it has grown is because of that community that we live in a, in a town that is very integrated with each other, right? So they don't take it lightly when a new business comes to town. They want to be, they want to understand who are the people who are behind the business. We're not, we're definitely, mm -hmm. Sonoma County is in general not a place that um, a big, big outside investor or chain will come in without at least a lot of people putting up a fight about it, mm -hmm. for sure. How is Keller Street Cowork different from any other co-working space? You know, it's got a lot, of, a lot of similarities. A lot of the conversations I have right now, especially with people who don't know co-working very well, um, they'll come in and be like, oh, it's like we work, for example. Um, I don't view it that way. Design-wise, it is very similar. It's a very similar experience. Um, but where we differ is that I'm not a real estate company. You know, mm. it's not my it's not my intention to create a real estate business. It's my intention to have real estate that people can you know come in and build their businesses. Um, so I again, I think I go back to the the whole community. It's like there's some co-working spaces are are really focused on on the real estate aspect of thing, and that works for them. Um, it's not what we're. It about. also doesn't. It also doesn't, right? <laughs> I know. I'm trying to kind of take the narrative away from WeWork because the people who don't know, they're like, oh, but they're you know they're in trouble, and I'm like, well, it's a little bit different story. But um, yeah, I can't express enough. I know I keep like nailing this this. Um, I don't know, I guess I missed the metaphor on that one, mm -hmm. but I can't emphasize enough that the community Community is, and the connection is, yeah, that you're cultivating. The experiences yeah. and, you know, creating experiences with that community. So it's it's simple things. It sounds very small town, but like chili cook-offs in the community or, you know, we have big, we have a big, huge table in the middle of the, the big room um, and we have like Sunday dinners every now and then oh, wow. for the people like myself, it's very selfish. Like I don't have any family around. So I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do Sunday dinner. Let's just everybody show up and, and do that. And those are the types of things that right. are valuable for us. So yeah. this work is also an extension of you. So. Yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so going back to connectedness, community, um, I want to touch upon your podcast a little bit. So your podcast, you're connecting with members of your community. Mm -hmm. um, what are you learning and experiencing from, from doing this? I will tell you, this is an interesting project for me, and I, I see a big future in it. I don't know exactly what that translates mm -hmm. to, but um, the joy I get out of podcasting is is just ridiculous. So I connect with people in the greater community of the Bay Area, and my 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 main goal is to get to know them and amplify what they're doing. I love to connect other people. I had a I had a previous guest just text me. She actually lives in Tennessee um, in Nashville. And she was like, you know what? Somebody just called me a Nashville recording artist who wants to work with me 
because they heard me on your podcast talk about my process. And that's what I do. I will sit down with a local community member, a business, um, and we talk. I talk about their story, just like you're doing with me. And then I think, who do I know that needs to know these people? And and I just shout it from the rooftops. Mm. This great, you know, Griffo Distillery, they're amazing. Like, you guys need to go to their tasting room. We need to do this. And I send everybody that way. And it's, you know, it's a it's a small contribution, but it's something. And it's it's growing appreciation for what everybody else is doing. I mean, I'm not the only one doing cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> do you curate uh, your, your community at K- Keller Cowork? That is a great question. I will say when I opened the doors in my mind, I was thinking, oh, just the creative people are going to come here. Like, finally, we're going to have a workspace for the creatives. Um, It's not like that at all. Um, It's we have everybody there. So the answer is no, I don't. Um, And I find that because we're so integrated, the people who come into the space, if it doesn't fit for them, they weed themselves out. I don't have to do it for them, you know, so it, it works on its own. Wonderful. Um, going back to design, because I'm so intrigued by yeah. design as well. Um, what makes Color Street Cowork unique in its design? Like, what's um, a fun thing about Color Street Cowork that, yeah. you, that you feel like you don't see in other co-working spaces, design-wise? Uh, well, I will say, and this doesn't have as much to do with the design as it does the building. The building is beautiful. It's a historical part of Petaluma, and it's full of daylight, like an entire wall, imagine 9,000 square feet, one whole wall is light, is open windows. So we've done a lot to integrate with the building and we've done a lot of work with local artisans. So almost all of the the custom built furniture is from somebody within the county who has who built it by hand. Wow. Um, so that that's very important. All of the art installations are from local artists. So we're really trying to highlight the work that everybody else is doing. Um, and then for me, the most important thing is to be able to find chairs that people can sit their butt in all day if they want and not feel exhausted. Or we have like, you know, standing desks that move up and down and we have um, soft seating and we have stools and like there's a little bit for everybody and you don't even have to be that person all day long. So you have many options. Um, and then of course, with the interior design, Urban Chalet is the company that we worked with and they did a beautiful job, like mm-hmm. just taking the vision of the brand and translating it into actual furniture and fixtures and it's gorgeous. If you would like to comment on this, uh, how do you feel like the future of design and work is evolving? Oh gosh. First of all, I love that there's more importance being put on it. Um, it's we, we talked a little bit about this offline. It's like mm-hmm. people, w- w- I think they should walk into a space and ask themselves, is this where I want to spend a third of my life or half of my life for those people who work even more? Like, is this where I want to grow and learn? And And I think also, you know, there's the conversations of ergonomics and all of that. And those are all very important and need to be integrated. But the fact that people are willing to demand a different experience, um, they're willing to appreciate what it feels like to look up outside of their computer is so inspiring to me. And I think the fact that there's a lot of appreciation out there for it um, is is hopeful, is hopeful. So more yeah. engaging and interactive physical spaces yes. that foster connectivity. There's definitely you know the debate over whether it's more productive or less productive to have an open workspace. And everybody's different, you know, like we're all different creatures. So what I offer is probably not for everybody, but 
I know for sure, having experienced it, the level of productivity to be able to change your energy in a space is just great. Great. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give your, your younger self? Oh my God. <laughs> Intentionality. Make the choice. Don't let, don't let somebody else make the choice for you. And, and color outside the lines. Mm. Like, try Stop following all the rules because not all the rules fit you. For sure. Well, this brings me to my next question too. What advice would you give to women working in a male-dominated industry? Same thing. Don't follow the rules. Do what works for you. You do you. All right. And help me finish this sentence. Community is... Everything. Absolutely everything. There's no doubt in my mind about that. All right. Thank you so much, Danielle. Yeah, Such a pleasure to have me. you. <laughs> so if uh, for all of our listeners out there, um, you can check out Danielle and all her her hard work on uh, Keller Street Co., which is located in North Bay, California, on KellerStreetCoWork.com. Yeah, thank you.